If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live on Four Legs Podcast and on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. You can call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me, why don't you? Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. Randy Sobel here, John Farrar over there. If you were listening to side A, this is side B of the Randy and John fan profiles. Uh, Just us doing something that we really have only done in like very small spurts and that's talk about our Pearl Jam fandom. And if you happen to tune into this one first i will direct you to go back and listen to john's first because chronologically it'll make more sense if you do that because john started in in 91 and we're gonna kind of take this from a little bit later than that so listen to john's first john is side a i'm side b and uh, it'll make more sense. I think sense. what you're trying to say is that I'm old. No, I, which did I do not, not appreciate. say that. I, maybe you're vintage <laughs> or nostalgic or just Gen X. I no, it's uh, no, yeah, that, that was fun. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking looking forward to, to being on the other side. But, yeah, th- thanks, everybody, if you if you listen to that one and uh, and you're here now. So we, we definitely appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, I guess now it's, it's my turn to sort of tell my story. And I, I've told – again, I've told bits and pieces of my story a lot. I, everybody knows I talk a whole fucking lot on this show. It's just – it's just what I do, and and sometimes I'm not stopped, and then I'm in control of the editing, and I get to determine whether or not I talk more or I talk less, and sometimes it's impossible for me to t- turn myself off. So, uh, but now everything is all in one place. It'll if you want to know my whole entire story and John's whole entire story, it's it's all in one, and you can hear everything at, at one point uh i think when we first started our first ever episode matt and i shared like a summary of where we came from and i think even single podcast theory i wrote into them very early on and i they you know once the podcast actually happened they they told the story and i i said I'm like you didn't have to do that i told the same thing like three episodes ago but they ended up doing it anyway which was cool but um now, uh, you know, it's it's been a year and a half since we've really talked about the origin stories, and now I guess it is is just as good a time as ever to, to do it again, right? With yeah. the album coming out this week, so. Giga week. It is giga week. Giddy up, as they say. So yeah. I'm, giving, I'm giving my control over to you, which I will take back immediately, but you're... <laughs> going to be the one in control of all this and determining what the stories i will tell are going to be so well yeah i mean we we got we have to start at the beginning and you have something that i didn't have mm-hmm. which is i'm guessing which is crucial in the in the development of this and you have an older brother yes who was mm-hmm. like i i had cousins but you know it's it's not really the same as having that that close connection with uh, with the brother so uh, just started off by talking about um, your your brother's relationship with the music and how you, if you kind of latched on to the same things that he was listening to or how that kind of guided your early taste. Well, for starters, 
My brother is 11 years older than me. My brother graduated from high school, I think, in 93 when I was probably six or seven. And, you know, it took a while. But, yes, there were things that I really latched onto because of him. But it really kind of all starts in and he's a huge part of this process but it kind of all starts with my father and my father's influence of having music on all the time and you know my, you know just a little background on my family and who we are uh and what we're about and and my family's going through a very tough time right now as as I'm sure everybody's family is but you know we own a small business it's a small apparel company that you know if you got one of our shirts that's where we printed up the shirts from so uh you know they've been in business for well over 50 years uh my parents have been doing their job for almost 50 years but my grandfather started the business back in 1947 so this is something that my dad has been doing basically forever and growing up i couldn't relate to him on that level because he would work so long and such long hours that like he was just stressed all the time that that's all that I ever got out of my father he was just stressed and I thought that my behavior just made it worse for him so the only thing that I ever really respected his opinion on was music and what kind of stuff was he playing he was uh, he was playing a lot of you know 60s stuff. It was it was a lot of Beatles. It was a lot of Rolling Stones, uh, Neil Young, um, and, and it, Bob Dylan was huge, and, and some some stuff you know I take with me, and I still have fond and still love those bands for today. But then he has a lot of stuff that I don't really care for too. That there's you know I think the one that really sticks out to me is obviously the Beatles and how, you know, from the beginning of my life, I was singing Beatles songs and listening to Beatles songs. I, I've, I probably, when I was four years old, could sing the whole strawberry fields forever. That's just that that's what was on in the house all the time. And, and magical mystery tour. No, it's not one of the best Beatles records of all time, but it's one of it's my nostalgia record for me, but, um, he always, he's, he's, he's a man of, uh, my father's a man of routine and I wouldn't say ritual, but he, every Sunday morning he has to work out. And then at 10 o'clock we have breakfast and he reads the paper and he puts on a CD and he'll still put on CDs because that's, you know, maybe, maybe now he's back into vinyl since I got him a vinyl for, uh, for a wedding <laughs> gift, but, um, yeah. and he really, he does love it. So, you know, I'm sure he's playing it a lot and I, I, I stole a lot of his vinyl from him when I moved <laughs> away and I gifted 60, 50 to 60 percent of it back to him. But there was a, there was a lot of stuff I couldn't, I, I, I had to keep access to his love and you know, there was, yeah, it sounds, I, I just sounds like he had, he had good taste. That's a good foundation. Oh yeah, absolutely. He, uh, it was, it was a really good start for it. And I don't think, you know, sometimes I don't realize how lucky I am to have that. Cause you know, I have friends whose parents just listen to, uh, you know, whatever crap that was out in the sixties and seventies, you know, like, 
that Barry Manilow kind of stuff and, you know, like the crappy 70s bands like, uh, I don't know, Boston and those kind of bands. Right, like, right. Uh, that, all, the bands when, named, all the bands named after places, I like to say. Yeah, Kansas and, yeah, those bands. Boston and Chicago. Um, and, yeah. I, I don't mind Chicago. I don't mind Chicago, but <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it really started with my father and my brother – was you know while my dad kick-started my interest in music my brother had the stuff that was you know that was in that was that was that was important and that was popular and the first cd that i really remember gravitating towards was they might be giants flood and i get chills just just saying those words because how important that record is to my life um, it was a really good gateway to appreciating music uh, in whole and appreciating music that's relevant while also when you're a kid, that album has so many kid-friendly things like a song called Whistling in the Dark and uh, Istanbul, not Constantinople, Particle Man, Birdhouse in Your Soul, one of the most beautiful songs in the history of music to me, I, that is one of my favorite songs of all time. And I can go on and on and on about they might be giants for forever. I absolutely adore them, but that was the album that really, you know, he passed it down to me realizing that, Hey, maybe this is, you know, as a six or seven year old, this is what I can get from my brother to be interesting and, you know, talk when, to him about stuff. When, and, when did that come out? Was that 88 or 89? That was late 80s. That was 90s. Um, okay. Why is the world in love again? Why are we marching hand in hand? Why are the ocean levels rising up? It's a brand new record from 1990. They might be giants. Brand yeah, yeah. new album. Flood. I had to. I, sure. I, I, sure. I couldn't remember when they used 1990 but yeah i went and saw them a couple months ago and it was the 30th year anniversary so okay cool. uh onward and from there my brother went off to college and you know there were some cds that he took with him and there were some cds that i was i was savvy enough to you know things that i liked the cover of and one that was really i knew that i really liked was uh blood sugar sex magic from the red hot chili peppers and i must have hid that from him every single time before he left. And he probably had no idea that I did it. And I think I still have that version and still have that copy. And if I were to keep any CD, it would be that because it's just, you know, that I consider that one of the first things that I ever owned to myself, but even though I stole from him, but, um, as it, you know, my brother had a very, you know, varying taste from the the bands that I just mentioned before to, you know, he was a mighty, mighty Boston's fan. Uh, uh, the Who, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen. And then some of it was just sort of random, like In Excess. That was another album really early on. In Excess's kick was huge. Oh, yeah, that was huge. A, in my that rotation. was a huge record, definitely. Absolutely, and and to this, like I I to the point where I I still think it's good. I don't know if it's supposed to be good or not, but I don't care. I I still love listening to that album. I'll defend it to the end of time. But um, so you know, I think 
Pearl Jam was one of those things that you kept hearing about and you kept hearing about Nirvana, but you didn't, there was never a moment where I said to myself, like, this is, this is Pearl Jam and I know them. It, it was just sort of ingrained in memory. If, if so MTV what, what was year, on. What year are we talking about right now? Um, It's kind of a timeline. It's kind of in between like 93, 94 through 97. This is like mm-hmm. very early on. This is, you know, where I'm just starting to scratch the surface of understanding this stuff and understanding that it exists. So MTV would be on and they'd play the Jeremy music video and I'd understand, I I would know that the song exists. I'd probably know how it goes, but I can't tell you the moment that I remember seeing that video for the first time and being mesmerized. I can't tell you that. The earliest Pearl Jam moment that I remember, I must have been nine years old and I, my brother and I got in the car and he gave me a CD book and he said, well, pick something in there. And I think I had, I had my friend Tim in the car with me and we were going through stuff and, you know, he had about 15 CDs and I'm just like, I don't want to listen to fish. I don't really want to, there's other stuff that I didn't know. And I looked at, you know, got to the end and there were two CDs in the back end. And one of them was verses and the other one was the soup dragons. And I said, what the fuck are the soup dragons? I don't want to listen to that. So knowing who Pearl Jam was, I said, okay, let's listen to Pearl Jam. Let's listen to verses. I don't know if I took anything from that day and remember listening to the album and saying, whoa, this is amazing. That's not, you know, that's just an early memory of me having that connection to the band. When I really started with the band was kind of, it's half finding it out on my own and half finding it out um, by my friend Tim, who I I just mentioned. His brother Brian was a massive Pearl Jam fan. I I was lucky enough to get to go to a show with him later on uh, to the Brooklyn Night 2 show and had a fantastic time, and he is, you know, not a huge fan anymore, but during the 96, 98 years, like that's all he ever talked about. And another person that, uh, his name is, is Tom. He grew up next door to me and, uh, I'm actually pretty, pretty good friends with, uh, somebody that he was friends with in high school who might be listening. Uh, his name is John Mauschen. And I, I knew I never hung out with Tommy cause he was older than me. But his brother Billy was around my age, so Billy would get all of the Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam CDs, and that's and Three Eleven was massive back then. Incubus was mad. That's how I learned about Incubus really early on. So around ninety seven, ninety eight is when it really kicked in. That I was like, okay, I'm gonna find all this stuff for myself. And I'm going to figure out what kind of music fan I'm going to be. And, you know, yeah, the Beatles were still there, but I kind of, I wanted to rebel a little bit and say, I don't want to listen to old oldies anymore. I don't want to listen to what my dad listens to anymore because my friends don't do that. So I gravitated towards whatever was, you know, the older kids had. Brian was, 
you know, when he was a senior in, in high school, I was a freshman. So three years in between us. And there's uh, a, there was just a lot that was going on. I just remember it was four years, three or four years after Kurt died and people were still in mourning about it and people still loved Nirvana. And I attached myself to that because it was so easy because so many people liked it and so many people were into Nevermind. And, and I think at the time album covers, if it, if, if an album had a really good album cover, I was in and you see a naked baby floating in a pool and you're like, all right, yeah, they're different. I'm going to check this out. Yeah, so, that's interesting. Like we didn't really, we didn't really talk about Kurt and Ravon on the episode I did, but yeah, again, huge for me. Like I remember when, when Kurt Cobain died, like that was a generational split. Like I remember the famous Andy Rooney uh, quote that's, you know, it's been, circulated here and there about like why are these young people so sad i would switch places with them any day like to be like yeah to be 16 or 17 when that happened like i remember it hit me like a ton of bricks man like that changed everything like that that's that's one of those things where you remember like man i I grew up a little that day like part of this part of this is not going to be the same like the the world is fucked up Right. And I was probably seven or eight years old when it happened. So I have no memory of it actually happening, but I do, you know, it's, it's kind of passed down and it was this rite of passage thing that like Nirvana is still, and Kurt Cobain is still being just almost like religion. And, and he was almost kind of like the Jesus Christ of, of grunge in a way that people were still celebrating him after, you know, years after he had passed and, and it hadn't, you know, nobody got over it. And I, you know, I gravitated towards it because I'm just like, this is, you know, how I've never seen anything like this. So Pearl Jam at the time, this is when Yield was about to come out, and I, you know, Nevermind was probably one of my top albums, and then there was shit like, you know, Load and Reload from Metallica, and I just liked Metallica because it was noise, but I liked Nirvana because it had, you know, it was talking about the same thing with Pearl Jam, it was talking about shit that actually meant something to me, um, and you have Yield that, that's coming out, in 98 or 97 is when we started to, to figure it out. And I, and I was really, I was tapped into what was going on in 97. So the do the evolution video comes out and it's the first music video since Jeremy, technically since oceans, but really since Jeremy and I see it, I'm like, these are some cool fucking images. And you know, the guy from spawn, Todd McFarlane, did the animation for it and I'm going home from school every day because everybody did this and I'm watching Total Request Live and it's Pearl Jam, you know, they're doing their top ten. It's Pearl Jam going up against In Sync and the Backstreet Boys and, you know, uh Your whatever, Limp Biscuits and all that. Yeah. 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 Limp Biscuit might have been a year later or so, but mm-hmm. like it it kind of became this thing where I really didn't want to see NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. So I was just like, come on, Pearl Jam, be number one. Let's be number one. Like I'll call in if I have to, I'll, I'll go online. 
I'll go on dial up and I'll vote for you if I have to. And, and it sort of, it, it became a thing where, uh, of course it was around me. I was surrounded by it, but now even though people were playing it around me, I was starting to figure it out uh, for my own. And that's why yield is so important to me. Yield feels like it was my record. It was made for my generation and my growth. Uh, I was 11 when it came out. So that's the wheelhouse right there. I remember the day that I went and I got it and it was so I was not like the most uh, positive kid growing up. I, you know, I would get involved with stuff and I'd be like, no, I quit. I don't want to do this anymore because I don't like the people around me or, you know, I'm, I'm not happy. And I think people are just forcing me to do shit. So, um, I went to a small private school for a couple of years in middle school and my music teacher really wanted me to do this county choir thing. And I went in and went in early to go to school to practice with him. And he was grooming me to do this thing. And it was just singing songs that were just not, they're not fun. They were dumb jazz songs and, you know, the, the kids that I was surrounded by, I was like, I know I'm not going to be friends with any of these kids. So the first rehearsal came up and I looked around and I said, Nope, I don't want to be a part of this. And I never got on stage. I never sang with them. I sat in the crowd. One of the, the uh, instructors came up to me and they're like, why don't you join us? I'm like, nah, this is, this is not my thing. I'm not happy with this. And my mom picked me up. She was furious with me. And she was just like, how can you not go through with this? Like you've been working on this for months. And I said, I looked around and, and I knew that I wasn't going to like this. This wasn't my, this wasn't my scene. And, uh, yeah, I'm just not really interested. So luckily my dad comes home and I don't know if my mom was out or what, but my dad comes home from work it's a Saturday and yeah, my parents worked on Saturdays and still would if, you know, that business that I was talking about before, we're working through hard times. And just to let you guys know where, you know, we had to shut down the business. Everybody that worked for them, like 45 people or so that worked for them, everybody got laid off, including myself. Yeah, so man. We're it's it's going a brutal through. time we're going through. It yeah. really is. It it's really terrible. is. And this is this is all my family knows. This is yeah. where we get our income from. And, yeah, it, it, it's a lot. So, you know, I just want to throw that out there. Just you know, if you're going through similar stuff right now, we're, we're all dealing with it. We're, we're all, we all got your back. So it's, it, it's crazy. But, um, my dad comes home from work and he, you know, pretty often on Saturday afternoon, it was kind of this thing where it's like, you want to go to the mall, go to a record town and go pick up a CD. And I, was, I kind of brought it up to him sort of sneaking in there and hoping that I could get him to take me before he figured out what happened at the, the choir rehearsal. And he said, all right, yeah, let, let, let's go, let's go pick something up. And I go and immediately I know it was, it was February of, of 98. Immediately. I know I'm getting yield because I know it's out. I think the music video had been out for like, two months or so before 
the album dropped and I think I was listening to Given a Fly. So I went, I grabbed the album and I immediately just ran to my room so I wouldn't get confronted about what happened earlier that day. And I put it on and it's like, I have this little boom box at the time and I remember it vividly. Uh, something happened where it's one of the ones where you had to open the top and I guess like something fell on the top of it and it, the top wouldn't close. So every time I'd have to play a CD, I couldn't just put it in and close it. I had to put like a heavy book, like a dictionary or a textbook or something on top of it for it to, to recognize that it's closed and to play. So that, that's what I was working with here. Just like, you know, crazy little thing, but I put it in and I'm like, I don't really know what to expect because I've listened to a little bit of 10. I know, I know the hits from it, but you know, I think at the time I was really not paying attention to albums as much as paying attention to the songs that everybody likes from those albums. So I put it in yield and immediately that one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, whoa, what is that? What's, what's going on here? One, two, three, four, one, two, three, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, what is this kind of music? It's fast, but it's controlled and it has a sort of like, energy and passion to it and then he starts wailing into the mic and it has this chorus that's just like it gets higher and higher and higher as you go along and I'm just this song is incredible and I keep listening and obviously in the first my first instinct would be like to listen to the first track and then hey let's let's listen to do the evolution because that's what that's why I wanted the album to to get do the evolution but I listen to the next track, and it's faithful. And the transitions in between the tracks, that little and it fades up into and that little like kind of that jack tap that he does to get into that. And it's just it was intriguing. I don't know what it was about the song. It was just everything was intriguing because the second song didn't sound like the first. And then you get to no way. And that doesn't sound like the first two. And Given a Fly sure as hell doesn't sound like any of those. And you keep going and, and you're like, none of it, it almost, it doesn't make any sense that any of these songs would be on the same record, but they're all incredible. And they all work so well next to each other that it feels like they're telling me a story with this album. I've never gotten that before or never felt that way about an album before maybe outside of like a Sgt. Peppers or something like that I had never even considered an album to be like that every it felt like every transition between each song even Red Dot felt like it was perfect it felt like it belonged there and going on into the end to all those yesterdays, how it's it just it spirals out of control at the end. And yeah, maybe for a while I ducked out after in hiding and, you know, didn't really care about push me, pull me and, and all those yesterdays was a little bit too weird for me. But listening to it for the first time, I was just like, that's how you're going to end this album that you started out so ferocious on. I, I like this. 
I dig this. I'm I'm in. Like, give me more of this. And I just kept listening to that album. And, you know, this was at the time where everybody had their, uh, the, you know, their handheld Walkman CD players. And I would bring it on every road trip and every plane ride that we went to. And I had three or four CDs that were always, 100% always on the plane with me. Uh, Nimrod from Green Day. Because it's just, I mean, you're 12, 13 years old, Green Day was it, you know, like everybody related to Green Day when they were 12 and 13. And then once they turned, you know, old, once they got older, just kind of it faded out a little bit. But Nimrod was such a great album for that time. Uh, Offsprings Americana, that was another one that just spoke to that generation and, you know, felt like it was angsty, but it was also, um, it was jokey in a way where, you know, pretty fly for a white guy. And, uh, why don't you get a job? Like those things felt like it wasn't taking itself too serious. And then it was yield too, which I felt when I had yield on me that I was mature in my music taste, even though, I still listen to this other stuff that I knew was kind of just for teens, but even my dad would listen to an album like Vitalogy or an album like Yield for every now and again, just because it was, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't know any of the music from it. He wouldn't know, uh, recognize a song or, or most of the lyrics, but he knew that it was pleasant to him and he knew that it was better than, the others that I mentioned before, even Nirvana, he just didn't care for Kurt's just blatant screaming and things yeah, like Nir- that. Nirvana was more, Nirvana was more punk. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Pearl Jam you, had punk vibes to it, but it felt like yeah. polished punk. Were you connected enough to know that, for example, like a monkey wrench radio was happening in, in 98 or like no. that there was a tour going Not on or anything like that? Yeah. So we hadn't quite gotten Not there yet. All. No, 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 no. 98 was all just about owning the record and just listening to it and not even like diving into their old catalog because, you know, the friends that I had, we would go over and he would have all the cassette tapes lined up and he would say, well, don't really listen to No Code because No Code was kind of was kind of a fail. So I took his advice. I'm like, all right, well, I won't listen to No Code. But Versus, listen to Versus because Versus is is awesome. Listen to Vitalogy because because of these songs. And over time, songs like Corduroy, Nothing Man, Better Man, Go, uh, Animal, Last Exit, those songs did stick with me a little bit. But um, it wasn't till way later that I'll kind of get into that uh, that really brought me back in. But I, Binaural came out and I was a different kind of music fan i just i wasn't paying attention to pearl jam anymore maybe every now and again i would put yield on but yield was really it was it was 98 and 99 that i was just non-stop playing that album and then got into other things as time went on See, that, like, that's interesting because like binaural came out when you were the same age that 10 came out at the you know we were the same age binaural came out when you were 13 10 came out when i was 13 so it's funny that that didn't hit you in that same way at that age. No, and I think it was the same. And it's a different kind of kind record. Of, you know, it's not, doesn't right, have the same right, teenage I, angst that, that 10 does. 
No, and I, I think what happened was I took everybody else's word as, you know, to heart. Like I said, with no code, I didn't listen to no code because my friends told me oh, no code is not that good. So when binaural came out, my friends were like, no, we're done. We're out. Binaural's not yeah. for me. So I was like, yeah. oh, okay, binaural sucks. And I even remember to the point where uh, a couple years later, I, when I started to work when I was about 15 or 16 years old, this girl that I worked with had uh, a binaural tour T-shirt that she used to wear sometimes. And I think she probably went to the Jones Beach show. It's actually – that was my neighbor, uh, the same person, uh, the sister of the guy that I mentioned before, Tom. Uh, mm. And I would even say to her, like, really? You're wearing a binaural shirt? That album sucks. I don't think I'd ever listened to it at the time. I just <laughs> took everybody else's advice and, and, you know, thought that I was, you know, uh, thought that my opinion was 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 right by by saying that but what the fuck did i know um i i i listened to to whatever was was popular i was listening to eminem and and limp biscuit and corn and those things you know years would go on and 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 those bands would pass me by and i wouldn't care about them anymore but then you get like system of a down i I still love system of a down but that was one band that in 2001 2002 i was really really obsessed with um and i was really for some reason just digging new metal sound more than anything else um and then it took a major transition into digging ska and punk and getting into stuff like real big fish and less than jake and no effects uh from no effects went to stuff like bad religion and stuff that i still listen to the descendants um and pearl jam in in 2003 just felt like they weren't a part of that there were so many it was more than just enjoying the music it was being part of a genre in that era and you had your your emo and if you were considered emo to me i i didn't want to associate with you I remember there was this one time, uh, the TV show, the, the channel Fuse. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I went to, I guess, one of their live shows. And um, oh, I don't remember the guy's name. The, the, the dashboard confessional guy was supposed to be there, mm-hmm. but called in sick. So the whole time, I, me and my friend, the whole time, we were like, sniffles i'm gonna make an album about getting the sniffles and and that's just what you did you made fun of the emo bands and the pop punk bands and good charlotte and simple plan like you saw the kids in school that liked those bands and you didn't want to associate with them so you found your way and your your niche of what to associate with it and there wasn't anybody in high school you know i graduated 2004 there wasn't really anybody that had Pearl Jam in their wheelhouse that that said, you know what? Yeah, that's like, that's kind of Pearl yeah. That Jam's wasn't that wasn't hand. their generation. Yeah, no. I mean, the best the best that I had with Pearl Jam at the time, and I had Riot Act, but it was kind of one of those things where, you know, I had heard Riot Act was a little bit better than Binaural, so I gave it a chance, and it just kind of it fell by the wayside, you know, to some other albums that were you know, 
hitting me harder at the time. But um, Matt's brother was obviously your generation. Probably you graduated high school in 97. He probably graduated high school in 95 or 96. So, yeah, that's same, the same age. Uh, yeah. But, I, you know, I just remember, like, him going to these shows and going to a lot of them. And I'm thinking to myself, like, we, I would go to shows with Matt and I would go see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And it was a big deal just to go to one Red Hot Chili Pepper show in Madison Square Garden. And then we'd go to shows at Jones Beach. We'd go see R.E.M. at Jones Beach. And we'd go see Queens of the Stone Age somewhere. And those were the bands that we were, you know, traveling to go see at the time. But there was all local. And then I'd hear that his brother, that Steve, uh, who's been on the show before, he would be going to... Um, I don't know, like North Carolina to go see them. And I'm like, really? What, what's he doing in North Carolina to go see them? And it was around this time that the whole Mansfield experiment happens. And Steve wasn't there, but Steve, I, I remember being at Matt's house and I remember Steve explaining what the Mansfield experiment was. And why it was so important. And I'm thinking to myself, that is the coolest fucking thing that any band could do. I had gone to shows and I had gone to see multiple bands like punk bands and stuff like that. And they would have the same set list night in, night out. It wouldn't, you know, there would be no change. And I'd just be like, oh, well, I, I heard this song last time. I heard them open with this last time. And, you know, I just wanted variety. But when he brought up Mansfield... And he said they played a different set list every night and went through their whole entire catalog. I was mesmerized by that. Songs that they hadn't played in 10 years. Mesmerized that a band would even consider doing that. And there weren't a lot of bands at the time that had, you know, outside of like, you know, bands like The Who and that, that were still around and touring that had that, you know, that deep of a catalog, but we're still somewhat relevant that could do that. And I think it was from there that I realized that I wanted to be a part of this, that, I, and I knew I liked the music enough, but I, I thought that the idea of it was so cool that I wanted to attach myself to a band like that. So at what point did you finally go back and and appreciate the 10 and the the no code and stuff like that that kind of passed you by originally? It was 2006. Um, Avocado came out and Matt and Steve both went to the Irving Plaza show. And I swear, every time I saw Matt that year, he that was the only thing he talked about. He said, oh, well tell the same story we were in line for you know 15 hours and then we got in and then steve got drunk and couldn't remember the show and you know later on it became and they didn't play big wave um but uh i just remember that and you know the the album came out in may and i think i got the album but it i was really into stadium arcadium at the time and because it was a double disc I was really fixated on that and, you know, um, that was really my focal point. 
and I couldn't get that out of out, out of my car, uh, even though avocado was kind of, you know, a couple tiers below it. It wasn't until I'm, I was on a trip to Toronto with some friends. What happened was I was originally supposed to go to Toronto with three friends, uh, road trip, go up there, hang out, you know, the drinking age was 18 and we were like 19. So cool that we'd be able to go to bars. Couldn't do that in the States. So, uh, awesome. So originally it was supposed to be me and three friends that I was very close with Two of the friends dropped the one friend that stayed. I was the least close with, but I was still kind of close with, and I couldn't get anybody that I knew to come. So he got two of his close friends to come. So I kind of felt like I was a little, it was a weird trip because there was a lot of, there was a lot of changes going on in my life. Like I, you know, doctors were telling me that I was going through mental health issues and I didn't really understand what was going on. And I, it was the first time I started taking medication for it and, you know, being away from home and not, you know, going through that and going through a lot of changes through, through that. I, I didn't, it was very difficult and I didn't want to be around people that I couldn't confide with and, and couldn't, you know, I didn't have a relationship with. So it was just a tough trip. We were there for about six or seven days. It was a tough trip. And, you know, we were like 18, 19 years old. There wasn't a lot to do. I wanted to do more than they wanted to do. They wanted to go to Hooters every day and like, all right, you go to Hooters once or twice. It's it's fun. And, but like they thought they were going to hook up with waitresses. And I'm like, I know I'm not. So I'm not, I, I'm going to, I'm going to skip it every once or twice and maybe I'll get ragged on it, but whatever, I don't give a fuck. So one of the things that we did almost every day that we were there, we went to like three or four Blue Jays games and we were, you know, we sat in cheap seats and, you know, ballparks half empty because the Blue Jays were not very good at the time. So, but just being at the games were cool. And I, uh, every single time that a player came to bat, player by the name of Lyle Overbay. His walk-up music was Jeremy. And every single time he came up to bat, Jeremy would play. And it kept, it was that beginning, just that bass riff in the beginning. And that part kept playing in my head. And it would, you know, they would announce him, number six, Lyle Overbay. And, and it would get to the point, dun, 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 at home, drawing pictures. And it would fade out. And I'd be like, oh, I want to hear the rest of that. I want to hear the rest of that. Can, can they play that next time he's at bat? And the, it, it would happen. The same thing would happen every time he would come up. I must have seen, you know, over three games, like, 15 at bats that he had. And I'm just like, play the whole fucking song. Please play the whole fucking song. So I didn't, I brought all my CDs with me, but I didn't have 10 or avocado with me. And I didn't, I don't think the, the friends that I was with were really into that. I think they were all mostly metal. And we listened to a lot of like Pantera kind of stuff on on the ride. Um, but I, that summer, because this was June, that summer, I lived 
in an apartment on the beach working in a restaurant uh, as a busboy. And I knew nobody. I was the youngest person there. I was the only person that wasn't able to drink and go hang out with everybody. So I spent a lot of time by myself. So I uploaded everything that I had Pearl Jam wise to my computer. I downloaded whatever I could and whatever software there was. And I listened to Pearl Jam non freaking stop that summer. I, you know, you see the iTunes plays. I think under Hail, Hail, and Corduroy, it probably said like 60, something absurd like that for the whole entire summer. And um, I was just, I was hooked. I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked at the time. And it became more than just being wanting to be a part of something because that, you know, I, I felt like that with Ska and Punk that, you know, it was, it was a society, it was, it was a scene as they like to call it. And I, I felt like I was part of the scene, but that as, as I got older, that scene started to die out. The clubs that I used to go to, to see these bands were, were gone. And I, you know, my friends were all going to college and, and I wasn't as into it that I used to be, you know? Uh, but this and Pearl Jam felt the themes of the songs felt more, like I'm maturing, I'm getting older, but I still do have that little tinge of angst in me where that punk that I was so relating to with, with no effects and bad religion descendants and a couple of those other band lag wagon, uh, a couple of those other bands that I felt so attached to. I still had a lot of that. So 2006 was really, that was my big Pearl jam year where I never looked back after that. Yeah, man, that stuff stays with you. Um, so when did you go to your first show? It was 2008, and yeah, we've we've talked about it on the show before. But Yeah, uh, we, don't, we don't have to talk about all the shows you've been to because no, we've covered a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, look. Uh, but but you fit, in, you fit in a lot of shows in a short amount of time. I did. I did. And I kind of think to myself sometime when, you know, if – I were to look back at myself in 2006 and, you know, rub a crystal ball and say, Hey, let's look to 2020. Where am I? Okay. I'm married. I host a Pearl Jam podcast and I've seen them 20 times and I have loads and loads of Pearl Jam fans that I do nothing but talk to them daily about very various topics and nerdy topics that nobody else in my life would ever, ever even entertain having these conversations with me. I would be so thrilled at that, that I it would feel like such an accomplishment that I, I had done that. So 2008 rolls around and it's really, it's really the first opportunity because the 2006 shows, I, you know, I was still in that phase of still getting into the, in back into the band and, and the tour had ended by the summer. So I didn't really know anything. I wasn't a 10 club member until like 2010. So, um, 2008, I went and I tried for Ticketmaster tickets for the second night of the MSG show. And I don't know why I didn't try for both. I think that it was just one of those things that, uh, I guess, uh, 
I, that one date worked better for me or something like that. And, I, you know, I think to go to two in a row for your first time, either you really have to know somebody that was doing it with you or you had to be really determined. And I, I wasn't at that point. I was just like, get me to the garden. Cause first of all, it's the garden. It's my favorite venue for everything. And just get me to see Pearl jam. And I got there and thankfully we ran into a really interesting ticket situation, which I talked about on that episode. It's episode number 41 or something like that. You can, you can go listen to it. I, I, you know, I speak very, very fondly of it because it, it is a huge part of my memories. But um, Matt had two tickets, and I had two tickets from the Ticketmaster sale, so we figured out that Matt's tickets were better than mine. I went and I sold these tickets to somebody else, and uh, just, like, sitting in a TGI Fridays with the person that I sold the tickets to and doing nothing but talking to them about Pearl Jam and what songs I wanted to see and, you know, this and that and everything in between of like, you know, war stories of going to shows. I, before I even got in that building, I said to myself, this is, this is exactly where I want to be. This is exactly the kind of band that I want to be doing this with. This is the, exactly the kind of people that I want to be celebrating this with. And I was, I was in before I even stepped in the building. I really was. Um, but then I did step in the building and I was even more in, um, (laughs) fucking, they opened the show with release. I, I don't know how much I knew about what they did back then, but I sure as hell didn't think that they would open with release. I thought they'd open with, you know, life wasted. It's the first track of the new album. Uh, like it, every other band that I'd seen, if I'd seen the red hot chili peppers, their opener was by the way, because that's just what they did. And, and that's what I was used to, but they opened with release and I see the crowd swaying back and forth on, in the pit back and forth. And I, you know, Ed does the hum and the hum and it, it kind of sunk into my soul and I, I got these goosebumps and right away, like hearing that beautifully arpeggiated riff, um, just blare through the arena and not sort of trying to, to, you know, open up the show and, and, and blast one one through and and bring in some energy it was to ease you in i had never felt that way before at any show about anything and yeah i mean people people compare it to a religious experience but it it really is absolutely is is. it absolutely 100 percent is i i i believed in it that's i whatever was going on that night I was fully on board with, and I fully felt like I was a part of something big and important. And I knew from the people that I had talked to that it was going to be special, that going to these shows was a moment that you do not forget. So that show, you know, things that happened in that show, Ace Freely's on stage with them doing the uh, Black Diamond and... Uh, they have backup singers that do stuff, and uh, CJ Ramon performs with them. 
Um, like, nobody does this. Nobody has all this stuff that, that just randomly happens to them at shows. I, I worship them. I worship them. And, and from there, I, I got into them even more. And I said, I'm going to go see them at least once every single year that they're performing. And, and I've done that since I, you know, the next year we all went to go to one of the Chicago shows, Matt, Matt and Steve went to both of those Chicago nights in 2009. I met up with them. I was luckily, uh, I, I had started work, uh, my first job, my first real job after graduating college. And the first thing I said to them, like, if you're going to hire me, I got to go to Chicago in August. Cause I, you know, two days, that's all I need. I'm going to go see Pearl Jam. That's it. And, uh, they were very cool about it. So I was very thankful, but, um, yeah, that, that whole, that experience too, like just traveling to go see them. I had never been to the Midwest before Chicago was my connection to go see Pearl Jam. And it was just freaking awesome. I, uh, you know, I wanted to spend my free time going everywhere I could to go see them. And I think I've done pretty well for the most part. And, you know, I've, I've tried to at least. <laughs> so we talk about a lot. Of, how did you develop your relationship with these opening tracks? Cause we talk about that a lot where these, are the ones like you're doing these a lot of these on the Better Band podcast? Yeah. We talk about it all the time that these are the ones that you you track down on your shows and you put them on your setlist. Where did all that come from? That that you develop such a uh, such a connection to these opening tracks on these albums? I think it's just the way that any, and it's not just Pearl Jam. I think it's the way that any album that I've ever gravitated towards. It's that first you put the needle on the record. And, you know, you're, you're anticipating and waiting for it. And when it hits, it hits you in such a way that like it kickstarts your, your soul and it kickstarts your life with this. And, you know, what did I sing before the theme, the theme song from flood that goes into, to birdhouse in your soul. Like those to me, like I get a certain feeling of comfort and warmth when I, when I hear those, cause those are the first ones and there are tracks later that don't do that as well because they aren't. Do you as think special, part of it, do, do you think part of it goes back to that first time you heard brain of J? It could, it certainly could. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, more so it's just, it's just first. It, I love new albums in that, in that facet, just that like your first instinct where you're just like, okay, I know the single and I know that the single is the number three song usually. So I want to see what the number one song is going to be. How are we kicking this off? And it, and it starts and it's usually probably their second or third best song because you get later in the album and anything past seven on a usual album is not great. So you listen to one through six and then maybe a couple songs near the end. Like that's a typical like Stone Temple Pilots album. Like one through six is fantastic. And then, you know, seven through 12 is just like, all right, maybe there's there's one or two of these. That's all right. But that's like, that's basically core. Um, But I, 
Yeah, the album openers, it's it's all anticipation. And even when I know what I'm about to anticipate, it's the beginning of your journey of listening to it. Um, you know, uh, that's I've always attached myself to that. And, I, and I've always just been a proponent of Pearl Jam having some of the best opening tracks of any band I've, I've ever heard before. And sure, I'm biased a little bit, but it, you don't get much better than songs like Go, Brain of Jay, uh, Last Exit, Breaker Fall, and I'll, I'll throw it in there, whoever said. Because <laughs> why, why the hell not? It's a great song, so. Yeah, yeah. So uh, where are you at right now with your with your fandom? I, whew, um learning learning every day um trying to grasp on to something new and something fresh and something exciting and and trying to pick the brains of people that were there when i wasn't uh such as yourself um and i'm very lucky that you're a part of this and can bring that perspective in because i don't necessarily have that but there's you know, sometimes I'll feel like there are times where I just want to take a week and just drop the band so I don't completely get frustrated with the show or just lose interest. Um, but I, I've said it before, there's always a Pearl Jam song for just about everything. And, and whenever you get in any mood right now, it's a tough time. So, you know, you put on some Pearl Jam and you get you feel you're feeling good again. Um, I, there's still, there's still so much for me to do if this summer happens, my wife and I are going to take our honeymoon to Amsterdam and we're going to go see them at the Ziggo dome. Like those are things that I've wanted to do for years. And you know, there, there are going to be times like, like you mentioned in your episode, you know, you had a, a newborn, and you had all these shows to go to that might happen for me where I might have a newborn somewhere in the future and I might not have those opportunities. And I've talked to my wife about this and, you know, that's why she was, you know, okay with me going to places like St. Louis and, and said, yeah, let's work a honeymoon around going to Amsterdam because she knows that there might not necessarily be another time for this. And that scares me a little bit and I won't, fully let that happen i'll make sure that there's one or two shows somewhere and and i i always feel because i'm me and i i I know myself i always feel like with with this podcast and what we're doing i have to be there and have to have a presence at least somewhere so i can i can talk to people and and you know i i I personally want to stop talking. I want to start listening to people and listening to their stories. I, you know, we get a couple people that come on the show and they tell amazing stories, but I see people in person and then we can start, you know, telling stories, you know, passing stories and, you know, saying, Hey, when was, what, what time were you drunkest, uh, ever seeing the band? And we can trade stories like that and becomes, you know, it just becomes this, amazing community friendship thing. And I'm very fortunate that one of the best things that has come out of this and come out of this podcast has been 
that I've made so many friends that are so passionate and intelligent about their fandom and bring in so many different viewpoints too. Like very fortunate to be around all that. Cool. I think you, I think you told a good story, man. You tied it up nicely. I like that. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it, it means a lot to me. And I kind of, I, I have a major problem in my life where if I'm, not 100% passionate about it. I'm usually around zero. So I need to, I need to really feel something and be a part of something, you know, like this band, you know, I have a few things that I feel like I can be a hundred percent about and feel like I can absolutely nerd about, about Pearl Jam is one of them. Now I want I do want to hear the story of the, of the poster you got at your, the first show, maybe or the first poster you got there, there was something that happened to this poster. I want to hear that story. Ooh, the only hmm, the, the, something about you, you did something to this poster. Oh, okay. What the Chicago poster? Yeah, uh, I bought a frame for the Chicago poster, and I, it was a cheap ass Michaels frame. And, um, the poster's really not worth that much. It's not like, it's not one of their best. It's not even hanging up in my house right now, but, um, the poster was 25 by 18 and most frames are 24 by 18. Right. So yes, I did the measurements. I didn't really know or care about value at the time, but I did the measurements and I cut an inch off of the poster so it could fit in the frame. I, I, you didn't cut like a half an inch off of the top and a half an inch off the bottom so it wouldn't like... No, no, I just I cut to make it 24. Uh, it doesn't, you can't nah. see it at all. You can't see it. So I'm not <laughs> looking to sell it. Uh, it's it's yeah. just there. It's part of the collection. I don't collect posters that of shows that I, I have never been to. So... Um, it has now, to mean something to me. Do you uh, do you have a moment at a show where, like I talked about with the, that Charlotte episode where I was, you know, right up front with the rail where I connected with Ed and like gave me the pick. Do you have like a certain moment at a show that you've been to that sticks out uh, among uh, above anything else? Release like a moment maybe you you connected personally with something. Yeah, release is the one that I felt the biggest connection with um the whole entire msg 2010 night two show i felt of course a very spiritual connection that night just with you know the set list and you know that's really when i understood what kind of set list i can get in night night in night out and i felt that was my fifth show. I felt five shows in that I had already seen pe- things that people were waiting a lifetime to see, like Black, Red, Yellow, Sweet Lou. I had seen Brother by that point. I had seen mm, there's like one or two other songs that are like absolutely rare. Um, but there was a lot from that night. Push me, pull me from that night. I'm open from that night. Like I felt like that to me 
meant something and it was special. I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very much a collector and kind of like you in a way I, I need to have everything. So I get very excited when I finish something up. So like one moment to me that felt like me being a completist was, um, in Brooklyn and seeing oceans for the first time. Cause that was the time that I completed 10 and it opened an encore and I, when they played it, I just, I didn't like, I, I kind of, it was kind of like a sporting event for me. I was just kind of, yes, yes. All right. Yes. And people around me were just looking at me like, okay, it's oceans, man. You're good. Right. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> Fucking a, like I finished this. Yeah, You are, you are the stereotypical stat chaser. I, yeah. I, guilty as charged, but also to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but, but like you said, there's, there's passion behind it. Like you want to hear all the songs like there's, yeah, there's meaning. It's not just so that you can look at your app and unlock the whatever. No, I don't care about thing. that. It's stuff. like, yeah, I want to hear, I want to hear all the songs. Right. Cause they mean something. Right. And I think now that we've done so much on the podcast that I've had so much access to billions of different bootlegs that I can take a step back and say, if I see a really good show live, I can appreciate that more than if I've seen glorified G for the first and only time or uh, around the bend. I'm, you know, Brain of Jay is is very meaningful to me, and that's the one that I need to keep, you know, in in my hat and in my heart, and you know, I'll be chasing that forever if I have to. Um, and then Sad comes in a close second, but uh, it doesn't have the same meaning behind it. But um, I, I I like it; it gives me something to look forward to. It really it really does, and it kind of. And then you can share the stories of like, okay, well, almost like baseball cards. Like, well, what do you got? I got a, I got a Mickey Mantle. I got a, I got a Willie Mays. I got a Hank Aaron. And I can say, well, I got a, I got a black, red, yellow. I got a sweet Lou. And I got a, uh, I got a hunger strike with Chris Cornell (laughs) and Ben Bridwell. Do you, uh, like, you know, it's just, yeah. Do you still have all your, uh, all your CDs and everything? What kind of, what kind of collection do you have? We don't usually talk about that. No, um, yeah, I have my CDs. They're not in pristine condition or anything. I was going to do something with them uh, and kind of do a display with them at one point um, where I was going to frame them and put them on my wall, and that just kind of never came to fruition, so they're sitting in a drawer somewhere. Uh, But, yeah, that original yield copy is is still there, and the jewel case is, is still I think actually after I got into a car accident, I pulled out all the jewel cases and, um, and they were all every single Pearl jam jewel case that I had was still in that car. Hmm. Uh, except for like no code. I, I think I had riot act in there and I had like the verses, uh, reissue and, and those ones. Um, uh, but I have, you know, I'm growing my vinyl now. Uh, I have only two of the vaults, uh, Soldier Field and uh, the Vault Nine, the Seattle, uh, uh, December eighth, ninety three. Uh, I don't want to spend too much money on that kind of thing. I'm sort of frugal when it comes to that stuff. I like finding things for 
you know, very cheap prices. If, if things are in worse condition, but they're cheap, I'm like, yes, I will take that please. Uh, but you know, I, I, that obviously means that the record won't play as well, but I, I, one of the things that I just recently picked up that, um, you know, I felt like I have a real connection with is, uh, I was able to get mirror ball, on vinyl for only a hundred dollars, which, you know, the minute that I saw it, I texted you and I'm like, is this, a, what do you think? And you said, yeah, yeah. 100% go for it. So, um, uh, yeah. I'm proud to have that in my collection. Cause most of, most of what I have, you know, whether it be Pearl jam or not Pearl jam, uh, isn't worth a lot in value. It's just worth a lot in just, you know, the way I listen to it and the way I appreciate and enjoy it. So, uh, yeah. I don't go looking for that kind of thing, but you know, that mirror ball is, is one that I'm definitely, I, I really appreciate having it and it plays beautifully too. Played it the other week. Yeah. What about, uh, now I'm, you, you can tell me your favorite songs, but in addition to that, I want to know the, the songs that you're connecting to the most right now. Right now. Oh boy. It's tough to say. Because I'm connecting to songs in different ways while covering them. Um, the Krakow show that's coming out tomorrow, there were songs I listened to in that show and I'm just like, yeah, th- those are really hitting me real well right now. Like, Of the Girl and, and You Are. You Are has been very high on my list for the last year or so, and, and a lot of Riot Act has been has been really high. But it's all, it's a lot of it's dependent on, on seasons. And, um, you know, I'll always, you know, go back to Footsteps and Immortality uh, as two of my absolute favorites just because of how... I remember witnessing them live for the first time and, and really feeling a special connection to them live more than on the album. And I, the songs that I do like the most have that, you know, Corduroy is in my top 10 favorite songs because I've seen Corduroy so many times and I get very emotional. Uh, you know, f- the first time I see them on tour, how many times have I said on the show that Corduroy is the moment that you realize you're at a Pearl Jam show like that, that to me, whenever I see Corduroy, I, for the first time of a tour, I am kind of, I get really, I, I get, I get into it. So, um, but re- release too. And I, I went f- for a while where I never wanted to see release again because I, I knew it wasn't going to match that same moment from the first time but obviously you go to over 20 shows and they're gonna play release so uh there's nothing to really do about that but um yeah i I, you know a lot of the new stuff because you know we got a handle on the new album i'm I'm digging you know the quick escape and um i'm i really like retrograde and uh I really like Rivercross too. I know you were really high on Rivercross really early on, and that one's hit definitely me really definitely. well right now. I think anything that's sort of shining a light on positivity and hope for the future right now, I think is is uh, is my wheelhouse. Good call. In, Good in call. inside job, like inside job is has been you know top ten song for me since 
2017. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's it. That's it, man. That's I it. think like yeah, I'm, I'm. I can go for another I'm, three yeah, hours if the, you want. <laughs> the moments in the feeling, I know, dude. It's late. Yeah. Um. No, but I think yeah, the, I think we've yeah. That's. It's a good, and it's it's a good like I say behind the scenes, but that's not really what I mean. It's more like, uh, a compliment to the regular shows that we do to get a feel for where we're coming from and to get a feel from how we approach these songs personally, because like, this is not a band that you just, if you love that you just listen to and then you leave, it's a band that stays with you. Mm -hmm. And it's a, these songs like become, become like part of you and they grow with you and they change with you and you find different meanings at different points in your life. So I think it's interesting that journey that you start when you're so so young, like you even started younger than I did, and to have it still be meaningful 20, 25, 30 years later is just a testament to what kind of music this is and how lucky we are to have like witnessed it at this time. Yeah, absolutely. This this is cool. Uh, you know, I I didn't. I didn't worry about time and how much, you know, how much I was talking about things. But, you know, I I think I hit every major moment on the head. The one thing that I I would have liked to bring up was, was PJ-20. Um, and that was sort of the moment that I felt like everybody was a part of something together. Uh, that they were coming from all places all over the world like I was and showing up in this, you know, rural town of East Troy, Wisconsin, just to see this one band. And then that to me cemented that I was doing this with everybody else. And for all the reasons that I wanted to do it. But besides that, like you guys know how I feel. Talk about it every week. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not too much different. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I like, and I like a lot of it. So, um, cool. Yeah. If you listen to this side first, then flip back to side A and listen to John's. Uh, you should have listened to side A first because it's probably better than side B. But you know, there's always good stuff on the B sides. So it's you know, I'll. I had I had some good ones in there, but John John definitely had had the singles. Um, but yeah, listen listen to John's after you listen to this, and I'm sure you have time to listen to other stuff. So if you are on Patreon, we have two things that have been released to Patreon this week. One was released on Monday, and it was the fantasy set list draft that we're doing. And I'm sure if you're listening to this on Tuesday, that there's going to be a vote for the best set list. Uh, and on Wednesday, we're going to have the Krakow episode that's going to be for everybody. And then on Patreon on Thursday, bridge school night two, uh, 1994 is going to be released. So again, patreon.com slash live on four legs, contribute what you can to the show. It all goes into helping this podcast grow and doing some cool stuff whenever there's going to be a tour around, you know, how we got 
the shirts and the stickers and things like that, it's uh, it's because we got so many people very recently that that jumped in and 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 pledged. So uh, always, as always, thank you to to all those people that have continuously been supporting the show. Uh, but uh, if you want to if you want to join and be a supporter of that, head on over to to our Patreon and and do so. And uh, we'll also there's lots of other exclusive episodes there. And we also invite you to do cool stuff because we like doing stuff that involves the band, like set list drafts. And uh, we want to do these fan profiles with everybody, not just us. This was kind of the start of something bigger. So, uh, you know, we'd like to start with the patrons. And then, you know, once we get through the patrons, if you want to be a patron, that's like first in line and, and you want to tell your story, like you're in let's do it but we'll definitely once we get through the patrons we'll start you know grabbing everybody else and and seeing if they want to tell their story and we've gotten we've gotten stories of shows and that's like a nice clinch to to what their full story is but it's not the full thing so um we are looking forward to to doing more of those and and there'll probably be patreon episodes but we'll see we'll see what uh what the future holds with those but until then uh, hopefully you enjoy everything else that we're releasing this week. And more importantly, enjoy Giga Ton because it is a really good album. And uh, I uh, I haven't listened to it yet. Wink, wink, nod, nod, nod. But um, uh, I'm, I'm looking very forward to it at this point. Uh, most people have gotten it leaked. But, um, Maybe we'll get, our, uh, we'll get our vinyl in the mail soon. I would that would be nice at this time. Uh, it would be nice to have a nice little package come in at this time. So, um, everybody, again, stay safe. Wash your hands. Um, uh, don't talk to strangers. Don't shake hands with anybody. Uh, you know, go out for essential needs only to the grocery store, to the post office, to the places that you need to go, and um, uh, just just keep doing positive things. Just keep doing positive things that, that mean a lot to you and, uh, and can help others during this hard time because, uh, we're all, we're all going through it and it's, it's difficult for all of us. So we gotta, we gotta stick through it all together. So I, I stick through it with John. John sticks through it with waffles, but you know, that's a different story. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, again, we're all a big community. If you ever need anything, we're, we're always here. So, you know, uh, just again, be safe out there and, uh, got a lot of, a lot of other content. So if you want to listen to more of it, the archives or later this week, feel free. We're always there. So thank you, John, for doing that. And Hey, thank you, man. Yeah. Listening to your story was great. And you know, uh, you challenged me on a lot of tough questions for this. So, uh, uh, we will, uh, we'll do a regular episode. How about tomorrow? If you're listening to this on Tuesday. Sounds good. It's it's not Randy Palooza, but it'll have to do. Randy Palooza, that'll be vault number two after Easy Street. Free Randy Palooza. <laughs> hashtag. All right. Miss you already. Miss you always. We will see you next time. Bye.